Welcome to the Something Something Experience Podcast, episode 55. I'm Michael John Simpson. Kitty Brown is back! Our guest is stand-up comedian, last comic standing finalist, and British expat, Matt Kirshen. With apologies to Matt, somehow the first 20 minutes failed to record, but Matt was gracious and patient with us, and we carried on. We chatted about mansplaining, science TV, Christmas mythology, Matt's career in comedy, Star Wars, and fandom. Oh Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood. Here's episode 55 of the Something Something Experience. This stopped recording, I don't know how long ago. Well, fuck. Well, fuck. Anyway. Are we recording again? Yeah, I'm recording now, so. Hmm. Well, you missed at least, should we give them a catch up? You missed an interlude on how bows and arrows work. Yeah, (laughs) we had archery talk. We talked about Matt's backup, uh, 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 oh God, I feel like such an idiot now. Um, mm. We talked about Matt's uh, starting in England, uh, being on Last Comic Standing, being a finalist. Um, accents. Accents. Accents, yeah. accents. The zone getting one of the two of London. Getting laid via accent. Doing yeah. a, being a skinny white guy comedian and being yeah. different from other skinny white guy comedians. Yeah. So all of those things happen. So mm-hmm. there's yeah. the first uh, 20 minutes of the podcast all yeah. condensed down into yeah. one minute. Yeah. Did we lose all of the first 20 minutes, you reckon? Yeah, I think, I think so. All so right. I'm feeling very horrible right now. Anyway, so let's let's carry on. Uh, we'll we still, we've still got stuff, yeah. We've still got stuff. Yeah. So, um, just got the preamble out of the way. We just got, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, still a pair of teeth. <laughs> real professional. Um, so, we're, uh, so uh, longbow... Um, yeah, English asking, longbow versus recurve. Right, right. Um, recurve's more powerful. Yeah, and also, yeah. like, you know, for me, somebody who's learned on a recurve, like, shooting an English mm-hmm. longbow just feels incorrect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we also learned that you should never touch the arrow when you're pulling back a bow. Yeah, right. yeah, because then it won't fly straight, and, like, it's just You have bad. your fingers like a claw. Yes. <laughs> Let me explain this to you, right? So, <laughs> Please tell it's like me a, more. It's like a like... claw action. <laughs> on the string, and then, and then you release. I want to like have like a blinking sign that's just like mansplaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the mansplaining portion. Yeah. Does it even count to that when I'm just repeating back the thing you said thirty well, seconds earlier? That's the gist of mansplaining, you know. Like no, I think I'm... mansplaining is more like. <laughs> <laughs> Allow me to mansplain, mansplaining. Like, yo, dog, I heard you like mansplaining. <laughs> Thanks for playing. Yeah. Um, yes. Oh, man, I've actually had that happen. Like, I posted a thing on Facebook about, like, why you should never mansplain. And this dude, like, without, like, any irony or comedy in it, he's like, well, actually, mansplaining is more like, and I'm like, bro, the thing. You just did it. You just did it. You did yeah. the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I skirt that line when I'm just trying to let it be known that I understand something. Yeah, well, and I think that's a lot of thing that, like, you know, intellectual people have. Like, I find myself saying so much, like, I just want to be understood. Exactly. You know? And that's that's my thing, too, is is the fear of being misunderstood or, yeah. or because I spent so much of my youth and, uh, te- you know, up until, like, early 20s hood being ostracized and or misunderstood and yeah. misinterpreted not by parents by classmates etc mm-hmm. I'm always wanting to make sure that I am being as as uh, oh what's the word 
succinct, not, um, <laughs> but just trying to be as understood as yeah, possible. Yeah, yeah. Like, I find myself asking a lot, like, do you get what I'm saying? Like, am I being articulate enough? Like, are you articulate, understanding that, that you know? Yeah. And this guy was like, he was out and out not realizing the situation. Because I've, I've definitely, right? Because I've done mm-hmm. I've done the thing before where I've, like, written something that is a joke and it hasn't yeah. been interpreted as a joke and then you're stuck in that sort of, oh. do I say I was kidding or do I just keep pushing this further and further <laughs> until it's obvious that it was a joke? We all gave him a chance. Like, we gave him a couple minutes to be like, haha, are you joking? And he's like, well, no, this article's really bad because, you know, like, that's not what mansplaining is. And I just imagine this is what this asshat sounds like. Right. Yeah. Because if anybody's being that much of a douchebag, they deserve to sound like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, like comic book guy. Like comic book guy. <laughs> I prefer the earlier accident. That's more like a sort of an aunt in an Oscar Wilde play. What do you mean? That's excellent. So you told me, now I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it or not, but you told me that you recently got a writing gig, like on a show. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, that, that, it's fun to do those from time to time, just because it, but it gets me off the road, which right, is... Right. Sounds to me like you I do enjoy writing more than performing, maybe? No, I love, I like both, but I'm definitely, I think stand-ups are either writers who learn to perform or performers who learn to write, and I'm definitely the former. Like, I definitely... Because I started writing as well. Like, even before I did stand-up, I was writing for the this college, like, funny paper, like, <laughs> joke right. newspaper thing, and then I was the editor of that, and then I started doing stand-up. Uh, and, yeah, this is writing on a new science show, so that's kind of fun. Ooh. Uh, cool. So, Teaching kids science or, like, adults? No, it's going like to be on the science channel. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be accessible to children, but it's not specifically a kid's show. Okay. I it, feel like we need another Bill Nye. Like... You know, we have Cosmos and everything, but mm-hmm. there's nothing specifically where it's, like, science, science person kids. talking yeah. to children. There's a few of those in the UK, I think. Mm. There's a few people who are doing things like that. It's like Steve Mould is the science guy on Blue Peter, which is this kid show that's mm-hmm. been running for 35, 40 oh, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe even longer. It might even be 50 years this show's been around for now. Um, and, yeah, there's a few people doing things like that in the UK. I think... Is there anyone doing that in... I mean... Like, Not really in America. Neil deGrasse yeah. Tyson will pop up on things that are more accessible, and Bill yeah. Nye still exists. Yeah. But I haven't really flipped through the Saturday morning lineup in a long time, mm-hmm. so I'm never up yeah. that, that early. And then, if there I is am, a I'm podcast. Because I know, like, I listen to Science Friday on NPR, and there is, mm-hmm. they always have, like, a little segment where they show a clip from, I can't remember what it's called, but there's some, like, Science for Kids podcast mm-hmm. that they drop, like, three minutes of into the middle of Science Friday. Cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There might be a science show out now, but I haven't heard of anything. And I would think that that my friends that are you know who are pretty oh, it'd be all over the yeah, internet. Yeah, we would be talking about <laughs> it. But, but yeah, Bill Nye was great, and I was a fan of Bill Nye before he started doing Bill Nye the Science Guy on the on the the, the Saturday morning show. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on a show uh, from Seattle called uh, Almost Live, yeah. which was like a local SNL show sketch show. Oh, cool! And it was. Um, it was uh, John Keister was the host and head writer, and then it had Bill Nye and some other people who've gone on to do some other stuff too. Um, but yeah, that, I always liked the Bill Nye uh, 
the, the, he always did these little science bits and stuff on there. It was mm. really fun. Yeah, I grew up watching Bill Nye. Yeah, so. yeah. Did he overlap with Mr. Wizard, or was there like Mr. Wizard then Bill Nye? But Mr. Wizard. Well, Mr. Wizard started very early, way before the MTV thing. They I've kind of never brought, heard of Mr. Wizard. You haven't like, Don? Yeah. What was his name? Somebody Don. Fill me in. What was Don? Don. His name was Don. Don something. But he was the original Mr. Wizard. He was on. In the 60s, 70s, as an afternoon. But then it came back. In the before and then, time. And then yeah. it came back on an M- as an MTV but show, older. Mm-hmm. Every episode was essentially like a little... One of the neighborhood kids would come around to Mr. Wizard's house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he would sort of kidnap the child and teach the kid about science through experiments that you could recreate at home. Right. Oh, nice. So it was yeah. like, like a lot of kitchen experiments. Household kitchen experiments. I it feel was like cool. child kidnapping has been coming up a lot in conversation because now we're getting into the Christmas season and I'm like, oh, Krampus! You yeah. know? <laughs> What's Krampus? The Krampus. Oh, man. It's this uh, Germanic, like, mm. Christmas demon. It's like he hangs out with Santa and if oh, okay. you're a bad kid... He would kidnap you, put you in a wicker basket that he had on his back, whip you with a switch, and then take you to hell for a night. So that All right. like you'd and be that's hey. German. Yeah, that explains a lot of German adults. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see where that came from. All right, yeah. uh, Iceland. Yeah, and has... he looks like a demon too. Like it's a big. Yeah, he looks kind of like the classic uh, and, devil yeah. with the club feet and the horns. And yeah, the... Uh, Iceland has I think it's twelve, twelve Santas. Mm-hmm. Or equivalents, all of whom come on each of the twelve days of Christmas, mm-hmm. and they're all dicks in one way or another. <laughs> like they have, like one of them blows out all of your candles, and one of them steals milk from your cows. <laughs> wow! And one of them slams doors. Fun. Fun. I think they're so... called like the Yule Lads or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they're Polter Claws. <laughs> yeah, they sound and, like a bunch of punks. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, um, I think the Netherlands has uh, Schwarz Peter. Oh yeah, Which oh, is good old yeah, Schwarzpater. Yeah. Blackface. Yeah. yeah, good old Schwarzpater. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I like how the Germans are the one who take it like next level. You know, yeah. like we just have a Christmas demon. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of Santa's school school roommates or whatever. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were yeah, in the they, dorms in college. They became BFFs. Did you ever watch uh, the um, the Venture Brothers cartoon? I've seen bits of it. Yeah, the, there yeah. was a, a well, I think the very first Christmas episode from yeah, season one. The Krampus shows up. Yeah, all right. And, yeah, it was pretty cool. I just like how when the Krampus in that episode starts like whipping people, they're like, "Ooh, that's kind of kinky." And Doctor Orpheus is like, "Well, like, it's Germanic in origin." Yeah, wasn't he also humping people's legs and yeah. stuff too? Yeah. yeah, but there's actually a Krampus movie coming. Uh, uh, I think it's out in a couple of weeks, but um, um, it comes out in December. I oh, think. December! Yeah, but Adam Scott's in it. And yeah, it looks really. But funny. it's basically a family, and they're all fighting. You know, the name, you know, the, the extended family shows up to the house for the holidays, and everybody's in a shitty mood. Yeah, and everybody's one like of, complaining. One of the kids loses stuff. faith in Christmas and takes his his Christmas list and tears up and throws it out the window. <laughs> and and our, here the comes the Krampus. Yeah, oh, yeah. So you're always making that kind of mistake. Yeah. <laughs> You can't let the kids lose the Christmas tree. That's right, that's right. That's, you know, like the ultimate no-no. Do you go home for the holidays or do you stay here? No, I normally go back. Okay. And I'm planning to this year. Cool, cool. Do you, have you had holidays in in LA or, or? No, the only place I've ever done Christmas other than... London is. I've got a sister who lives in Sydney, Australia, mm-hmm. and That's three a- years ago we all went out there to visit her and to Christmas Probably there. Probably all hot. Like, That's I was exactly say, that. Yeah. Like LA and Sydney are the two places you can go surfing on Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Sydney even more so because it's Probably. actually summer. Right. 
Um, oh yeah. Yeah. White Wine in the Sun to mention. Yeah. yeah, I love that. That song makes me cry. I mean, really <laughs> cry, like 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 sentimental yeah. crying, you know? Yeah. Well, like because like, you know, I grew up in like Dana Point and everything. We had a lot of the like surfing Santa mm-hmm. stuff that they have like sure. in Australia, you know, cuz it's always like surfing weather here. Like no one gives a yeah. shit, you know? It is wet. winter, but it's still They're like, on a wetsuit, right? I still walk around in a t-shirt. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But, like, if you're a native Southern Californian, you do usually go away for, like, a week to have, like, your winter experience. Right. Like, snow for us is a thing that you drive to, and then when you're tired of it, you can just go home. Let's go up to Big Bear and throw yeah. a snowball and then... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, was... Like, it's it's fun and magical, and then when it stops being magical and it's annoying, you're like, okay, let's go home. Just get back from the hills and warm up. Yeah. <laughs> I am... I've, I've been one of those people who has always wanted to spend Christmas somewhere else, and because of my parents divorcing and moving across the country and blah 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 and and their parents living in other states i got to spend christmas elsewhere a couple times and that was Mm -hmm. nice but i've always wanted to go to some place like like a big european city like london or somewhere like that for christmas just to Mm -hmm. see to experience what christmas is like somewhere else because i've been you know locked in america my whole life german christmas markets has become a thing now and now spread all across the uk german christmas markets yeah so what i so they have Areas of pretty much a lot of the main city centers where they block up the whole thing and it becomes a Christmas market where it's like a market, an outdoor market, but it's all Christmassy things and food and drink and uh, lots of mulled wine. And no crumpuses. No crumpuses. They keep crumpuses away. But like the sort of things like roast chestnuts and... And lots of Christmas decorations and stuff for the activities for the kids and that kind of thing. Nice. But it's all done like 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 a wood log panel like maybe type like things little and, puppet theaters yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. Or what's the thing with like the Christmas orange or whatever? I have no idea. Okay. The Christmas orange? You mean where yeah. you take the clove and you put it in the Christmas? Yeah, I, I see it in Doctor Who a lot, and oh, everybody's yeah. like, "Oh my gosh, it's oh, yeah, orange oranges for on Christmas. Christmas!" And I'm yeah. like, "Okay, yeah. are, are are they oranges or are they?" Um, not tangerines, tangerines um, the know. smaller clementines, clementine, you know, little yeah. smaller, Sassumas. yeah, mm. something like that. But there's something like on Christmas, and it's they, a citrus. Yeah, fruit yeah, we yeah we've seen that. that oh, so most of our, I mean, explain. we watch a lot of <laughs> British TV, but, but you know, we don't obviously don't get the full rounded experience of everything. But yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's the. Mis- I've had friends in America go like, "Your TV is so much better than us," and it's, it's like. No, you just get the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, same as there are people in Britain who are like, why can't we make TV like the Americans? And like, <laughs> yeah, because all we get is like, in Britain is like, The Wire and Breaking Bad right. and The Sopranos. <laughs> right, and, right, yeah. right. But it's the best of the best. We're on, they're only sharing the good stuff. We don't get... We don't get the British reality show. Although there's a couple of them that yeah. we get now. I mean, they do, they the, cross-pollinate, but you know, right. we don't, they don't get like, Days of Our Lives and a sitcom that lasted for half a season. Right. <laughs> I mean, EastEnders was being shown here in multiple places for a long time, but... Was it? Yeah. EastEnders was huge on PBS here for I years. I know that. I knew Carnation Street found its way over here. I really hope that Honey Boo Boo hasn't made its way. Well, I never I'm pretty s- sure it has. I oh, never God, saw Carnation Street We're sorry. here. <laughs> I was never in a place where it was shown, but we, uh, my ex-wife was huge in the EastEnders. All right. Huge. Um... I just thought it was weird that Louise Jameson showed up on that show because to me she'll always be Leela <laughs> from Doctor Who. But, okay. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I, you know, and I always bore Brits to death with all the, the 
TV, British what's, TV what's I watched as a kid. What's the gap between Doctor Who being broadcast in the UK and in the US? Like, has Well, we have this thing called the internet. Well, so. no, one-to-one now. <laughs> I mean, BBC America is showing episodes same day that they get released in Britain. I mean, oh, really? Yeah, okay. the new episodes. We've been getting the new uh, Series 12 uh, Capal- with or Capaldi, um, uh, or uh, 11, 12, 11. No, yeah. shit, nine. I'm Sorry, for I'm way ahead. Twelfth Doctor, Series Nine. Has we, Maisie Williams showed up? Oh yeah, yep. that oh, was fuck. a couple. That was a couple episodes. Ago. I missed it. Yeah, uh, I need was, to catch up. It was good. <laughs> um, uh, did you watch Doctor Who growing up at all, or yeah. I, or were you in that gap between well, Sylvester McCoy and? I was a kid. Like yeah, when I was, I grew up. I was born in 1980, so I grew up. Okay. Mostly By the time in you were that. Seven, Doctor Who was off the air. Wait. Yeah, but UK Gold TV mm-hmm. channel mm-hmm. used to show. Uh, an episode a day and an omnibus on Saturday or Sunday mornings. I can't remember which, but it would. So they would show an entire right, an entire story run, story run like five episodes. So yeah, and starting from right near the beginning. And so yeah, I saw loads of those. Cool. And my great uncle was John Pertwee's accountant. Fantastic. Very exciting stuff. Fun. That's Mm -hmm. fun. And Tommy Cooper's. Oh wow, Tommy it's the most Cooper. mild claim oh, to fame. God, well, can we Tommy take like Cooper. a sidebar? Like you just said, you know, you were born in 1980, but you don't look like a day over 12. Like, take it. What's your secret? Like, whose blood do you bathe in? <laughs> uh, you know what? It's more. It's more of rubbing than a bathing. Mm. <laughs> rubbing. Yeah, rub. You just rub, sort of rub. smear. It's more smear. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really a bathe. It's yeah, just a, bit yeah. Of a dab. So, I, so the answer I did see that, and then when they brought it back, I watched most of those. I'm, I haven't. I'm a long way behind now on episodes. But I don't think I've seen any. I've seen one of the Capaldi episodes. Tommy, uh, you said Tommy Cooper, and it always just got. I always just go, oh, whatever I think about Tommy Cooper because yeah. I don't know if you know, but Tommy Cooper was a big TV comedian, and he mm-hmm. died on live TV. He had a, oh, ma- he was a very, very large man, very tall, very large, heavy. So like set. a John Candy type of. But person. but but more no, than not so fat. He was more. <laughs> he was just big, a very giant of a man, very like a tall tree of a man, mm-hmm. and he was in the middle of a performance. Wasn't the Queen or some royalty? Was I don't there. know, but it was it was Princeton. live broadcast. It was at a it was at it was a live in a broadcast theater. in a Shit. and he di- had a heart at the massive heart coronary and died on live TV. What do you even do, like, if that happened? Well, they, people thought it was people a joke. Thought it was at first. joking because he would always do pratfalls and always do like. Physical so comedy. no one called for help. No, well, I mean, I mean they did. No, I think they realized pretty quickly that back was... into the curtain mm-hmm. and just sat there and just kind of slumped over and twitched a bit and slumped over and everybody's like, oh, like oh, "There's oh, nothing oh. anyone could have done." Somebody like, it was else, such a massive right, right, right. Somebody yeah. else was was doing a singing. I think somebody was singing. A woman was singing, and so then eventually you just see him. Some some hands reach in and just pull him to, through the curtain. Wow. Shows over, and then they went to, went to something else. They put a yeah. test card up and then put something else mm-hmm. up. But yeah, it was. It was. That sounds intense. It was. It was. It's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, On that yeah. happy note. Um, <laughs> but he had impeccable accounts. Because <laughs> you're. Because uh, great uncle Sam. You're great uncle, yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, and yeah, John Poe. Is John Poe still alive? Oh, no, he died a long time ago. He. Was it that long ago? Did he die before Troughton or just very shortly after? Very within. Within. With, I want to say within a year of each other, uh, Troughton right. and Pertwee both died, but all the rest of them are still alive. Tom Baker's getting up there. Um, well, except for number one. Well, Hartnell, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. But Hartnell died in the in the sixties. Yeah. So, like very shortly after Three Doctors. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Welcome to the Dr. Death Chat. Um, <laughs> uh, Dr. Death would be a great band name. Open that must have been done. stage at Coachella. <laughs> I don't know if they play Coachella, though. They probably play probably one of those god-awful rap rock festivals or Ugh. something, or some metal festival or something. Well, it depends. Dr. Death could also be just, like, really alt... Uh, Indie band. Oh yeah, yeah. Like one guy, or like that, experimental. Right, one guy that looks yeah. like Dieter playing a keyboard. Lola looping, hitting, hitting, <laughs> one, hitting one note on a one key on a keyboard. And, yeah, right. or hitting one button on a laptop. Right, <laughs> and then like a Morris dancer in the corner or something. And someone's <laughs> playing like kids' instruments as well. <laughs> yeah, a little little Fisher Price xylophone or one of those. Little, <laughs> ding, ding, yeah. ding, ding, you know. <laughs> um, so. Uh, so you said you're more of a writer who became a performer? Yeah, I, I, I definitely, I had to learn to perform. Like I, because I, I wasn't, I wasn't like a natural volunteer myself. Like I wasn't a performer. I wasn't a theatre kid in any okay, way. Right. I, my sister was. I, my sister was the one who, even like as when we were little kids, if we went to like kids shows. And they were looking for volunteers. I'd be the one trying to make myself look invisible, and okay. she'd be the one trying to throw herself at the stage. Mm-hmm. That's convenient. Yeah. So, uh, like that was that. Well, I was never that person. But it was more like I like writing jokes, and I like and I like saying jokes. I like making. I like getting a laugh from ideas that I've come like up with. That, is there? Yeah. There's really nothing like. And that. so that's the you know. Then you sort of. I want to get that laugh. I want to get and sure. it's more fun to get that laugh from two hundred people than. Two. Then five, yeah, a good little group of talking people, yeah. But yeah. that still meant I had to learn how to stand on a stage and learn how to be... Like, I remember after my first stand-up gig, and I was... It was it was in front of a really nice, supportive audience. It was a student gig, and there were, like, you know, 200... Like, 150-odd people. It was it was this... Like, it was the nicest gig to be doing as your first gig. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine who had acting experience was like, Hey, uh, next time you do one of these, look at the audience. <laughs> look where the audience is so I think I, I think I just like delivered it to the front row like this <laughs> like, and then he's like hey look look around to the other bits yeah, of the audience people in the back yeah. yeah I had to learn those like the first time I did a sketch show um, oh yeah did this sketch show that we took to Ed- the Edinburgh Festival about oh. 10 plus years ago now but uh, the first live run through that we did of that at the Canal Cafe Theatre in London it was like a test run again the guy who's directing it was like it was yeah. I've been doing stand up for about two years by that point. So there were cafes in London being part of Edinburgh. Edinburgh no, 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 no. But you, uh, before you take a show to Edinburgh, oh, you, okay, you, okay, you, sorry, yeah, you run it in and then you you try it out and if when workshop I workshop it right? exactly, you know, and you see what uh, see which bits work and so on, um, and which bits don't, which is the more important bit. Mm-hmm. But I'd been doing stand up for two, three years, mm-hmm, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it would have been actually it would have been getting on three years by that point, uh, and and again I hadn't acted except for like King number two in the Nativity play when I was seven, <laughs> and then <laughs> Servant number two in Macbeth when I was thirteen. Like I was like a um like they that was my acting experience, and then and Rohan who was directing the show went, hey, uh, okay, good good go for your first time doing this. That was cool, and you know got a lot of stuff that we did in rehearsal. Just one little thing, um. When you're in a scene with someone, look at them. <laughs> no, look at the audience. Because <laughs> like, it was. I, having, like, got over my initial problem with audiences where I was looking at my feet or looking at the front row and I'd learned to look at the crowd, then I was just in these scenes, like, the guy's over there talking to me and I'm just kind of delivering everything at the crowd, like, it's a monologue. Uh, but, 
yeah, so I had to learn all of those aspects of it, but uh, but I knew I knew how jokes work, and I knew how to deliver a punchline. Sure, I knew sure. how like that that bit of it came relatively naturally to me. I think I just watched a lot of comedy growing up, and I just oh, got it. I got the idea sure. of it. Sure, I knew how punchlines structured, and I knew how it should be vaguely performed. But then all the other aspects of performance, I just right. yeah, I was clueless. I was always a performer, always a ham, always trying to get out in front and hey, look at me and, right. and you know I was in plays as like I was a kindergarten play you know and and we're all and so plays. shocked. I was so shocked. But my own problem has always been not having faith in my own writing, and I've been doing I've been doing open mics for a while. I for a while saying I've been doing I've been telling people I've been doing stand up, but now I'm relegated to myself. Like I've been doing open mics because right. there is a difference. There's a big difference, and I'm always and I'm in in my attempts to do to stand up in front of people and make them laugh. I'm trying to keep it as real and realistic as possible and not be precious about it and not be, you know, overly, you know, fluff it up any more than it is. I'm trying to keep myself at a very reasonable pace and level with everything, too. It's really weird starting in, like, L.A. open mics because you are just playing to other comics who are other open micers for the most part. And, like, I don't know how you do that and get good at that because you... You don't learn what makes people laugh. You learn what makes... Comedians laugh. Yeah, people doing or the same thing as you Not laugh. even laugh, more like, ha, or ah, I see what you did there. So it ends up being a very specific type of thing if you're not careful. Sure. Very in-jokey or unne- unrealistically button-pushy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and see, I see, I see, but see, the stuff that I've been writing, and I've been looking at my writing again lately, and, and I'm... Not writing for comedians. I right. am, and I am, but I, I am getting laughs from comedians occasionally. But I am, I am writing more of general audience stuff. I mean, a lot cool. of my stuff's about being a dad, and a lot, of course, I have to rewrite a lot of that stuff because I was kind of doing the fat dad joke material, you know, and I've lost weight, so, uh, uh-huh. you know, so I'm kind of having to ditch a lot of that stuff too. Um, but yeah, the, the, everybody says that how you know how hard it is to start in LA, start doing stand up in LA, uh, but that's what I'm doing. So uh, I have this history of kind of always doing things the hard way. So yeah, yeah. Because I started when I started in London, I was you're mostly. Per- I think it's changed now, but when I started, you were mostly performing to real audiences. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd be the comics in the back of the room, but we do these shows that were at the time it was called more like open spot nights in Britain. We called like the on a pro night it, the open spot would be like the unpaid guest set and they and they do a lot of those as well like they used to do a lot more of those where they'd be like the pro night but there'd be one five minute spot for a new comic oh, unpaid nice. Nice. and that's great because you then learn what it's like to be on a bill with people who really know what they're doing right. and see whether you and test yourself against pros and help and get advice from pros uh, but then there'd be nights that would just be the open spots but they'd still normally the better ones, and there were a lot of them when I started, would charge two or three pounds to get in. Uh, so it wasn't just a bar that people wander into. You'd be in a separate room. It, they're normally rooms above or below pubs, but it'd be a separate room, and they'd pay two pounds to get in, mm-hmm. so they'd at least feel like they've invested in the night. Sure. And it'd be a proper audience. People would show up, and you know, you're performing to maybe 30 or 40 people, but it's that's 30 or 40 who are they, real people. Audience, real audience people who are specifically paying to go into somewhere and hear yeah. jokes. And, and they know, comedy. if they're not idiots, they'll they'll know why this night is two pounds, whereas the comedy store is 11. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, they they know right. that... They, they know you're workshopping. 
Well, like I know that you're new. There's an open mic night at Nerdmelt, but there's I think there's also regular audience people. They're not just stand-ups. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, so it, that's a different type of open mic room. Yeah, and, it, you know, you get... I, I think it was much better training. And then also I got out of London. That was the other thing that people told me. Get out of London as much as possible, because when you get out of London, you get to do ten rather than five minutes, and you're normally sharing the bill with real people. Right, right. So suddenly you're performing to a hundred people in an audience and you're the newest one on the bill and you're doing ten minutes. And you're with somebody who's a draw already. Yeah. it's not At the time, it wasn't even a matter of being a draw. Like, the people would just go to comedy. Yeah. Like, uh, I think now it's getting really weird where people are... It's now going that way where people are only getting booked for clubs if... Oh, how many Twitter followers have you got? Who can you get in? What TV credit do you have? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. it used to be people would just go to these gigs. You know, maybe not huge numbers, but you'd get, like, a hundred people in a town... Ta- in a in Nottingham Town Centre on a Wednesday night in a night that's run by a, a newish comic but he's got a professional good standard comic to come from I, from Birmingham or Manchester or sure. up from London to close off the night and maybe a pretty good semi-pro person to be the opening act yeah, yeah. and then a new person to be in the middle as the new act it's so weird to me though like you know that agents won't even talk to people who have less than like 24,000 yeah. Twitter followers well the thing is now I think that, and from what I hear other people say as well, that there's so much that keeps people at home. There's so much on the internet, there's so much on TV, there's so much like personalized entertainment that is available anytime, anywhere, that, that trying to get people up, out, into a car, you know, dressed into a car and go somewhere and pay to see a thing, except for a movie maybe, well, is tough. There's also cheaper ways to put on... With technology, like I remember, student gigs used to be a huge thing when I first started, mm-hmm. and I noticed them dwindling. Like the audience is dwindling, mm-hmm. um, and I think partly they just weren't as into it, and partly they just they lost the people who used to passionately promote them. But also, comedy used to be a really cheap night to put on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that used to be a really cheap way to put on a night of entertainment, where you go like, okay, well you paying these two or maybe three comedians, and that's your entire night, and it's only really great, and the only tech you need is one microphone and amplification and a one or two lights. Maybe somebody pops a CD in and plays a track off of it. That's yeah. it. Like the engineer. But then the people started, like, then there are, like, these companies that will come in and go, like, we will do this night for you. It'll be, like, a bingo night or it'll be some kind of, like, themed interactive game night and we'll just email you the, like, play this and that's your night or whatever. Like, yeah. And they realize, oh, well, that's even cheaper than having these comedians mm-hmm. and we've got to really promote these comedians and this show kind of sells itself. Uh, right, right, right. Because then you got this company and all their PR yeah, behind yeah, it. Yeah. And like in like to, to credit, in America, they're still doing like the college circuit is still pretty good. Well, I think too, like a lot of agents feel like, oh, if this person has twenty four thousand like Twitter followers, like it's more of a sure bet. Like, oh, well, they must be funny. They have all these Twitter yeah. people, right, you know? right, right. But well, it, and and people who are followers of people on Twitter tend to be the ones who go out to the shows. Yeah, too. yeah. Well, like you know. You see, like, people like the fat Jewish who has, like, tons and tons of Twitter followers, but, like, he steals all of his material. Like, it's not a good litmus test of, like, no, no, who's actually right, talented. Right. Especially when you can, like, buy followers, yeah, you know? Yeah, so. um, Are comedy clubs in Britain more, or in the UK more, kind of like they are in America, where it's like, we're just, you're just filling time to get people, to... to Get, capture people and hold them to a seat so we can sell them, not, you know, bar well, food and drinks. Yes and no. I mean, any any form of entertainment in a bar or club is that. 
right. internationally. Like, okay, you, right. like, well, that, that was kind of my question. Yeah, I think yeah. you know, it, and it varies. Some places are really more passionate about like let's curate a really good night of comedy, and others are like let's just get people through the door. Right. And there's Fun versions of both in Britain. There's versions of both in America, but. Even the great clubs, like even the clubs that are just passionate about curating and promoting really great comedians and really putting on a great show, you're still there to sell food and drink. Sure, sure. <laughs> like sure. you're still that's There's still the still business a two drink model. Minimum. That's. Oh, no, I, I, I wonder about the two drink minimum. That was Mitzi Shaw apparently who create who started that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's so At the weird. Comedy store. Yeah, the the Sorry. LA Comedy Store. LA Comedy Store. Yeah. And it like, just, what do you do if you're the DD, you know? Yeah, well, they normally have some kind of, like, two-item minimum thing where they like go, mm-hmm. I've seen cl- some clubs do, if you're not an uh, alcohol drinker, then for $11, you get unlimited alcohol-free soda. beverage, soda, yeah, soda or mm-hmm. coffees or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, who, is, who is Mitzi Sherman's mom? I always forget. She oh, was, Polly Short. Polly Short, that's right. Yeah. Um... Yeah, uh, she. But uh, it's such a weird thing because in Britain they don't do that. They don't have the two item minimum. Okay, okay. They still there are definitely still clubs um, that have shitty business models where they like just get people in the door by whatever means and we'll make the money back over the bar. But they don't force you to buy a certain. They just trust that you will buy a certain amount. Sure, sure, mm-hmm. sure. And it's and I I I do wonder whether I wonder what a comedy club profits would how much they change and whether they go down if they scrap the two item minimum and just well clearly if it because yeah. I, I don't know it, I, it, I, it is something interesting to ponder but since every club across america does that yeah, i'm wondering whether must... i mean i'm sure they must have tested it but i i'm just wondering whether i feel i feel slightly scammed if i'm in a venue particularly if i got a ticket for semi-free you're like all right i get that I, the, then that but I still feel I begrudgingly buy my only two drinks, exactly two drinks. Whereas, and the I, drinks are marked up way higher than anywhere mm-hmm. else. Whereas, I might be inclined if I didn't feel like I was being ripped off to have three or four drinks, yeah, and some food. Yeah, I mean, I went sort of it, shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, the I could, la- the last comedy show I went to, my wife and I went to. We went to another comedian who was on the podcast, and I don't want to make anything difficult for anybody. But we went and we had our two drinks, and they were. Bad and really expensive. I mean, we wound right. up spending forty bucks on four drinks, right? And they were basically just watered down, barely any alcohol in them at all. And it was really just like, really okay. So, yeah, and then you sort of leave feeling like, nah, I don't want to go back to. I mean, that. the comedy show yeah. was good because we wound up seeing a lot of really good people. How much alcohol are you up from the party? Like, oh god, I mean, <laughs> people. We had a in case no we didn't I don't think we mentioned it before but we had a we had just had like a like a fall mid autumn barbecue last night and yeah but you brought that bottle of rum and left it somebody brought um a bottle of peppermint schnapps <laughs> some friends of ours were drinking peppermint schnapps with chocolate syrup in them and I was like oh. yeah I think it's called I mean, like a Girl least, Scout cookie or something like, like that um oh god I forget the name but it's a hot chocolate and peppermint schnapps yeah um, well that's that's different that's that that, yeah I don't remember yeah. I think it's called a peppermint stick or something oh, like it's that. a peppermint patty peppermint patty yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah. they were drinking that and um but really i mean we already had a lot of alcohol already because we just keep a, a lot around for parties and stuff and <laughs> most of it just kind of sits but you know um but i love how danny was like would you like an alcohol <laughs> <laughs> yeah we had a lot yeah. um 
But yeah, I mean, uh, we go to clubs a lot, like dance clubs, like mm-hmm. goth clubs and stuff. Yeah. And goth clubs drinks aren't as expensive as other club drinks. And um, it's usually like a whole bunch of liquor and a splash of Right, mixer. right. And they pour, right. they tend to pour heavy at the, the venues mm-hmm. that we go to. But you're, you know, you're paying like $8 a drink or whatever and it's but you're getting a lot more bang for your buck. It's a bigger drink and it's got more alcohol in it. We're but. definitely spoiled. Right, right. <laughs> Maybe it also might be partly in the UK people don't drive to clubs. Oh yeah, there's public That's transport. That's the other big difference. Public, yeah, so they don't on the tube or the train or whatever. Yeah, so yeah, most people will either get public transport in or they'll get a taxi in. Oh know, right, right. No one yeah, no cabs, one drinks right. or drives. I really. love that about New York. I was just out yeah. in New York City for my cousin's wedding, and like the bars there are open till four in the morning, and yeah. the subway's just constantly running. So I'm like, I'm gonna drink everything. Yeah, I'm thinking, <laughs> do New York? Yeah, New York clubs also do have a two drink minimum, and that's. When I feel like they wouldn't have like there was a okay, there's a club in London. It's actually a chain of clubs, and there's format. Most shows in Britain have an intermission. Like they have a there's a break in the middle of the comedy show. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people get their drinks and they and people also they don't tend to have table service people go to the bar get their drinks and then come back mm-hmm. and this club experiments with having two breaks because they have two comedians a break and then the headliner and then they're like well, what if we do one comedian break one comedian break headliner people will get like an extra break's worth of drinks and they found their drink sales went down because what would happen is the first half of the show is just a little bit too long so people would finish their first drink and then just be stuck for 15 minutes without a drink while the first half was playing out and then they go to the bar in the break and go well I'm not letting that happen again mm-hmm. and over buy for the second half like uh, they, buy, okay. they buy a pitcher or a bottle of wine rather than right. to split between two people rather right. than a glass right. <coughs> and that wasn't then happening when they had the two right, breaks right, so, so they were buying one drink one drink and so one they drink. sold exactly three drinks with the new format whereas right. they were getting like four drinks or, or three and a half per person yeah. and I'm just wondering whether something I don't know it feels like one of those freakonomics things. Like, it feels like I'm wondering whether counterintuitively, if they took away the requirement to buy a certain amount of alcohol, mm-hmm. whether their sales would go up. And I don't run a comedy club. Well, I would <laughs> so imagine I can't really out test of that. all the types of clubs that you would could build, the comedy club is going to be the one that's going to bring you the biggest return for the smallest upfront investment. Because you were like you said, it's a microphone and a speakers and maybe a, a CD player yeah. and some curtains or whatever. Whereas with the dance club, you need lights and you need this and you need that. Well, that's the other thing. Fueling certain comedy booms in the past, there's been, I, in certain countries, there's been. I don't know whether America was one of them, but I think Canada was one where to have a certain type of entertainment license or a certain type of venue license, you needed to have entertainment on in there. Sure. And they sure. realized the cheapest way that this shitty bar could get this license was to shove a crate in the corner and borrow your uncle like borrow your cousin's PA system <laughs> and go like yeah this is a comedy night we have comedy once a week and yeah, that's yeah. how and we bring yeah. in these comedians from who drive from Vancouver yeah. and like that's yeah. how it uh, yeah, just clear the table and chairs out of that corner put up a torch you know tape a torch to the ceiling exactly. and you're good although again when I started some of the best like there were clubs I remember telling I very briefly ran a club when I was new like a night not a club but uh like a, a monthly comedy night uh-huh. and various of my friends did I remember telling people who were setting them up because people got really carried away like they'd buy like these Parkan theatre lights oh wow and like shove them at the back of the not like the most expensive ones but like they buy these go like you don't you don't, don't you don't need that not only do you not need that but that's oppressive in this room <laughs> like if you're on stage and you've got this theatre light that's <laughs> barreling down on you 10 feet away from you when it's Laser. meant to be up in the gods of a mm-hmm. 
thousand seater. Yeah. Um, and you go like, no, just buy buy like two of these clip on lights from or an angle poise from IKEA. Like the, some of yeah. the best clubs just had like two angle poises yeah. or one of those little clip on uh, little spotlights right, that you just right, clip yeah. to a bit of the ceiling. Right. Just have two of them so you cover so you don't get weird shadows pointing at you. Right. And then a half decent mic, and that's. It all looks great. It yeah, looks all that's you all you needed. Yeah, the the place I open mic it has a little tiny stage. It is elevated, but it's a little tiny stage. But the lights in there are just like yeah. And and no guy, one thinks to check. No guy, one realizes you don't need six hundred watts. The guy who runs it has to go in and turn the lights down, you know, and and, and keep them down. So yeah, yeah it's funny. Or if you do have that, put a couple of gels in. Like do yeah. anything so yeah. you don't have like. <laughs> It's ah, uh, I, I remember so many of those early shows where you just walk on, you're like, holy! F-. And then every every new act looks startled yeah. <laughs> because they just walk up there. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the surface of the sun. Yeah, what do you need to know? I'll tell you anything. <laughs> I am the new hottest comic because literally I'm right now the hottest comic yeah. in the room. <laughs> Giving you the tattooing experience. Yes, yeah. yeah. twin suns. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can actually see the capillaries in your eyes. <laughs> uh, I'm excited for the new Star Wars. Oh, yeah, we are. Yeah, we. Uh oh, so we mentioned Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh the Jar Jar Binksy series. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Got it. Yes, the, the CGI puppet series. Yeah, with the cool. with the things that go boom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Kitty and I are pretty big Star Wars fans. Right. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. I'm ancient, so you I more uh, of a, like a next generation guy, or <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, I, I or liked, like Battlestar. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked, uh, yeah, yeah. I liked Rick Deckard much better than uh, than um, you know uh, somebody else in some other fandom that I'm. Not I can't. Talk there's nothing to do with anything. Star Trek. No. Like, oh know. no, Rick Decker's from Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> I was going in the even he had another uh, left turn at the lights. Um uh yeah, so yeah, very much looking forward to Star Wars. Um there's been a lot of uh new TV f- trailer footage and things yeah, and I've been kind of avoiding a lot of that just cuz I there's I want to I still want to be surprised. I still want to be I'm 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 worried that the more I see of it the le- the less impact the actual viewing of the film because I'm very much setting myself up for I'm I want to enjoy the film and I think I'm going to enjoy it. Harrison it, Ford said it's really good. It's not so. going to be it's not going to be Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. but I think it's going to be better than the prequel trilogy. That's what yeah. I'm hoping. Yeah. Well, I feel like Harrison Ford is one of those actors where like he wouldn't say it was good unless he legitimately thought it was good. Like he's not going to, you know, shill for the movie in a in a like meaningful way like that unless yeah really and I especially now that he's gotten like old and cranky oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> although he really after that helicopter crash that he mm-hmm. had a few six eight months was ago he piloting the helicopter he was piloting the helicopter okay. and he wound up crashing it on a golf course and walking away pretty right. much unhurt because he's Han fucking Solo and Indiana Jones but people die in aircraft uh, crashes all the time but that melted him severely because he was notoriously being pretty cranky with people and conventions and mm-hmm. things. But then this last Comic Con, he went and everybody talked about how gracious and delightful he was mm. as a juxtaposition to how he was the previous year or before and how much 
the, the people th- are, are basically surmising that that helicopter crash kind of changed. It untangled the knot in it, his panties. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you have an opinion about Star Wars at all? Are you a fan? Or I'm going to watch the new film, but I'm, I haven't bought a ticket yet. Oh, I haven't I, either. I'm not. I buy, have. I'm not going <laughs> to I'll be fine seeing it open weekend. I don't have to be there right at midnight or whatever. I'm not wearing a I, It's at 7 p.m. Like, yeah, they whatever. don't even do midnight showings anymore. It's kind of weird. I will see it at some point in the three weeks after it comes out. Yeah. yeah what what yeah. day is it meant to come out? Uh, December 17th. Yeah. All right. I'll probably see it back in London then at some point. Mm. That'd be fun. They still have some of the real big kind of palace theaters back there, don't they? Like the... the yeah, but I, I'll, I'll probably just see it in like the local multiplex or okay, something. Right. Uh, I still haven't I, seen The Martian either. And I, I, I had the benefit of seeing the first three, four, five, and six back in the 70s and early, and early to mid-80s. Of the benefit of seeing them at the Continental Theater, which was the last big, like, 1,100-seater movie theater, big, you know, curved screen theater, right when those movies came out. Because, oh, yeah. as I said, I'm old. But um, you, I, I can't imagine you're that much older than me. And, like, 77 was Star Wars 1, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you so said I, you were born in 80? Yeah. I was born in 70. Oh, okay. So, but oh, so I you saw to, it as a 7-year-old? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So And, and that's the perfect... Okay, so you take Star Wars, and we all love Star Wars, great. And you see Star Wars for the first time, and that's pretty cool. But imagine seeing that at age seven for the first time. Then I saw it at age, like, three for the first time, because I was raised right. Right. But <laughs> then, well, I, I couldn't see it before seven, because yeah. it wasn't out. But then imagine seeing couldn't it. Couldn't or wouldn't. <laughs> you just need to try harder. Yeah. <laughs> um all right, fine. I'll I'll make a time machine. I'll get a cop print of a star of seventy millimeter print of Star Wars and take it back and show it to my three year old self. There, are you happy? <laughs> um, uh, I'll phone up Peter Capaldi and get him to help me with that. Um, but but imagine seeing Star Wars the first time. Imagine seeing it the first time at age seven, and imagine seeing it at the first time in the theater when it was first released. When there'd never been anything like that ever in the world before then. Uh-huh. And really, the only blockbuster before then, blockbuster movie before then, was Jaws. Mm. So, imagine, that, I mean, all of that alchemy, and I know how much Star Wars has affected people who are younger than I am and having seen it at different play- stages in their lives, but that even further impact of that, and, and it, at least for me, informs why I was so passionate about Star Wars right. and, and still played with Star Wars action figures up into my mid-teens and blah, 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 well past the... But, but then, then again, I'm a Gen Xer, I'm part of that whole prolonged adolescence thing, you know, and, you know, so... But that's a, Star Wars is a large part of why I am who I am, so... Mm-hmm. And you still haven't bought your ticket. Shame on <laughs> you. Know, Shame you know, on you. Yeah, yeah, but that's more the cranky middle-ager of, in me of, like, <laughs> I don't want to go to the plate one where everybody's got costumes and they're going to be waving their lightsabers around. I'm going to be floor. wearing... I'll and, be in full and, and that's fine. Like, and I, I, that's I, I, happening. No, you know me. I love fandom. I am I'm totally down. I'm not precious about it. Yeah. I'm totally like whatever anybody wants to do to express their love of a thing and their and, and fly their freak their freaky nerd flag. I am totally down with that. That's just not me anymore. I'm yeah. I my one thing now is I go to the Gallifrey one convention every year. I go to the Doctor Who convention. Where is that? Uh, that's going to be. It's at the Marriott. Uh, oh, it's in at, LA. at LAX. Yeah, it's at, at LA. Uh, Marriott LAX and um, I uh, that's my thing to go and do and cosplay at and blah 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 even though I'm on the staff but uh, you know I run one of the programming rooms one of the one of the panel rooms All right. um, and 
that's my chance to go and do that thing, and that's enough for me. I don't Comic Con. I don't do the other thing. Uh, I don't Comic-Con like Comic Con is such a clusterfuck. I don't like the crowds. I I get I get, I reach a point of saturation of being around all these people frothing at the mouth well, over their thing. I can't remember if it was uh, today or yesterday, but it's supposed to start the like lottery for people who went to Comic Con last year huh? to like buy tickets. And, like, some of my friends were, like, waking up at 8 o'clock just to, like, get in the line to possibly get a Comic-Con ticket. Like, it's insane. Wow. Yeah. Have you ever been? No, I never have. Okay. I've had a couple of opportunities, and I've never been able to take them up. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to try and go at some point. I want to see what the deal is. Yeah, I mean, definitely go at least once. Um, I'm going to sound so spoiled. I was going back in junior high, like, before it was a crazy, like, you know, worldwide event thing. Yeah. And I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Like, the first year that it started getting kind of nuts was um, when the first X-Men movie came out and Halle Berry showed up and everybody lost their shit because it's like, oh, my God, Halle Berry. Yeah, it's not just, like, a guy who played a background Wookiee. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like a... <laughs> yeah. Like, the, move, the, the movie Halle Berry. <laughs> Halle Berry from the movies. Yeah, exactly. Like, and... Not like know, Halle Berry stunt double or... Yeah, like actual Halle Berry. Like, yeah. you know, the girl who played Storm and everybody just like fucking lost it. You right. Know? And she was like the only celebrity to show up that year, you know, but people were still like, oh my God, Halle Berry, like foaming at the Oh mouth, yeah, that was the year know? that Comic-Con kind of went, went to yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have done, I did stand up a few, couple of years ago at, uh, what's it called? I think it's Convergence Con is the name mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere in the Midwest. Was it like, it's Minneapolis way, I think right. it was. Convergence, and, isn't Convergence, well, there, I think there's two different Convergences. Wh- whatever it was, it well, was. goth Convergence. Convergence. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, this was definitely a sci-fi comic nerdum type thing. And it was great. Like, it was, it was lovely wandering around. It was, I mean, like. A hundredth of the size of Comic Con. Oh right, uh, that's what I like about Galley yeah. is t- it's only thirty five hundred people. Yeah, this whole thing fitted <laughs> in like one hotel held all of the events, and then people were staying in a couple of the other hotels around it as well. Mm-hmm. But you know, m- a, a lot of people, a lot of people dressed up. A lot of uh, they had all the panels. They had uh, had all the uh, like the central, the whatever the shopping market area is where people have got their stuff for sale. But the gig was so lovely. Like, it was such a nice audience to play for. Mm-hmm. Which I was expecting to be nice, but it was, I guess it's that sort of thing of... Of course it's a nice audience, because firstly, they're sort of on the sort of smart, nerdy side of things, mm-hmm. but also, mm-hmm. if you're playing to an audience that is all that kind of person, and obviously they all have different interests. Some people are more into the sci-fi side of things, some people are more into the comic side of things, and some are on the fantasy side, whatever. But they're all they all have in common that they grew up liking a thing that a lot of people didn't like. Oh, so they're yeah, very yeah. unselfconscious about laughing and enjoying a thing. Well, yeah, because you're amongst your people. Yeah. You know, you know no one here is going to, like, but, beat the shit out of you for liking Yeah, so a, a, they were all relaxed and super happy, but also, just in general, you know, comedy is pretty... Uh, laughter is uh, pretty contagious. Like, it mm-hmm. works best when everyone's packed into a tight room. And part of that is you sort of need... The reason, one of the reasons why you laugh more than watching in a comedy club than you do watching at home is other people's laughter encourages you, You're and you feeding off of that, yeah. And also, that justifies your laughter. Like people are a bit, people are self conscious if they're the only ones laughing in a room, if they're the only ones enjoying things in a room. They quickly 
quieten down if they realize that other people around them aren't into the same thing. It makes it okay to laugh. But then, this audience is an entire room full of people who were used to liking a thing without necessarily needing the people around them to also like it. Right, So right. there was not, right from the start of the show... laughter kind of Yeah, thing. right from the start of the show, there was none of that self-consciousness of like, is this the kind of thing I should be enjoying? Because it was more like, oh, I'm enjoying this, so, so this is now the kind of thing right, I'm enjoying. And it was, right. it was a pleasure. Well, I had the, yeah, I had the the uh, the detriment of, of being that kid, of, of liking things that nobody else liked as well, a kid. Well, everybody in the goth right. scene was and doc, that kid. But Doctor Who, but the, even way before I was goth, I was, you know, that, you know, the, I liked, ner- you know, Doctor Who and Star Wars and things like hey, that. Hey, hey, goths aren't made, they're no, boring. Uh, that's true. <laughs> but, um, and it's true, I always like Hammer Horror and all that. I mean, we talked about that before yeah, in the yeah. podcast, but... So I had that whole thing of being ostracized for the things that I liked, and so now I'm very much the thing of, hey, whatever you want to like and whatever the way, however you want to like it, go for it because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna judge you for that because yeah. you know you you do that thing. But I also getting around. It's like going. It's like being in your 40s and going to Rocky Horror. It's like, yeah, I see why I was really into this as a teenager. Now, not so much. It it really is just like like each to their own. I can't. I cannot do Rocky. Right. 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 Really? Yeah. Oh God, no. I can't do it anymore either. Um, I, I love the movie and I'll watch it and I like the I like the whole thing and and I had a good time being in that. You guys heard Laverna Cox is yeah. cast as the new Doctor Frankenfurter. Frank like, yeah, perfect. Yeah, that's yeah. going to be amazing. But um, so I but I just it's it's going back to the convention thing and this and that. But I reach a saturation point with people frothing at the mouth with their thing and and, and if I want to go to a movie, I want to go to it and, and enjoy it unfettered. And I'm not one of those people who's like, this is my space and this is my experience and screw everybody else. But I'm also I, I, I want to have everybody have an equal opportunity to enjoy this film that I'm going that we're all here to see. In their own way and all that, it's just I don't want all the added extra distraction of all of that stuff going on too. I want to really be able to concentrate and enjoy the film. Have you got your Sith costume ready already? Oh yeah, this, it's right there. my cloak is right here. Yeah, her okay. cloak. Yeah, I'm cat. I'm heading to a photo shoot after this, so <laughs> you know. So um, what? Hey, shut up, phone. Um, what? Um, what kind of things are you? Uh, dorky about nerdy about? Uh, what kind of fandoms do you have? Or I don't know. I don't really like. I I was never that like it's it's kind of weird like because on the one hand like I, I've ended up doing various like shows and there's a sort of nerdy world and that kind of thing mm-hmm. on the other hand I was never like a crazy like I was never a crazy comic book person I was never a super sci-fi person like, yeah like I read like Asimov books and stuff when I was growing up but I was never like sci-fi sci-fi I was right, never right. fancy fantasy but, but you went to school for maths so. exactly yeah and I spent the first year of my math degree learning to juggle so I wasn't one of the cool <laughs> kids and, like I can't well, claim so to, there you go I yeah mean. so I can't claim to be yeah just like rock band sports and fucking that was me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, no no I was, were you a, fo- a football fan or a cricket no, fan or no I was like never okay. into sports never a sport person so. um but when, what was the thing that that you were really passionate about as a kid? I don't know. As a kid, it was probably comedy. Like, I think that was it. Like, right. uh, as a so kid, you were a was, comedy nerd. Uh, uh, yeah, as a kid, that was probably it. Uh, and then ended up doing it. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I've enjoyed sci-fi stuff, and I've enjoyed comic book stuff, and I've enjoyed... But you're not rabid about it. But no, no, I, so I certainly it's... would not know who the first AD was on Right, the... no, yeah, yeah. So are you, but are you like rabid about your work now, or? I think I'm passionate about my work. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. say ra- I think also just being in that world gets it out of your, well, okay. it gets out of your system to an extent, but on the other hand, 
you have a much deeper understanding of what it's involved, much sure. more nuanced understanding. Sure. Um, I think yeah, I'm sure there was comedy stuff that I liked as a kid that I look now and just go, ah, all right, yeah. uh, okay, well, yeah. it has its place. Sam Kinison. <laughs> it's a, yeah, um, well, Kinison never crossed over to the UK. No, no. Uh, not like Bill Hicks. No. Bill, so, Bill so Hicks. Um, so Bill Hicks crossed over to the UK uh, uh, big time. Brilliantly but, so, too. When his career was tanking in America, yeah. he found huge audiences in, in the mm-hmm. UK. But Kinison... No. And Carlin. Carlin never really made it in the UK. No. What? Because he Seriously? Didn't, he no. didn't play the UK. He did no. one show in Britain once ever, I think. And no. that was years before his his peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people in the UK really don't know who Carlin is mm-hmm. unless... Like, has, um, like Louis honestly, CK made it over there. Louis has hugely. Okay, yeah, good. Uh, Louis played the O2 Arena a cup a year or so ago uh, mm-hmm. and packed it out, which yeah, is a yeah. fifteen hundred yeah. seat. Yeah. I, I feel like theater. he's the one picking up the mantle from George Carlin. Yeah, you know, in terms of like smart but, political comedy. But in mm-hmm. Britain, like, it, like a to, little bit yeah. to Britain, yeah. uh, George Carlin is oh yeah, the guy from Bill and Ted. <laughs> like that's who Carlin is, yeah, yeah. and Kinnison is oh the shouty guy from Back to School, right? Yeah, yeah. So what what's coming out? Um, what kind of of anything of any form of media or whatever that you're interested in that's coming out that you would recommend to people or or? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm so out of touch right now. Oh, like I'm fine, so because you're 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 hunkered down working. Well, so. yeah, and so I just haven't really like between this new job and. Still trying to get stand up going and being behind and everything. Like I, I have no idea what even movies are about to come yeah, out right, this right. Christmas. And fair enough. Like I was saying just uh, like earlier on the show, I, I want to see The Martian and I enjoy that book and I still haven't seen the film about what a month after it came out right. now. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I, I tried to get through the book, but the voice of the scientist he just sounds too much like a bro. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Where he's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna like cut the potato in half and that'll make like forty potatoes and that'll give me food because I, I have a biology degree and fuck yeah, bro. It does. I'm like, I can't take you seriously as a scientist when you sound like my younger brother. I mean, it, it is clear, like, the whole thing was written, firstly, as a blog. Like, it was written as an online mm-hmm. thing, and then yeah. suddenly you got more encouragement and it became a book. I and mean, it still has... But that's one of the reasons why I want to watch the film, is because I feel like... I, I did like... Like, I liked a lot of what the book was doing. I really liked... I liked the fact that every problem and every solution came out of hard science. Yeah. Rather than, like, there was no deus ex machina solution right, to right, anything, right. and there was no... But it's hard to take somebody unre- seriously as a scientist, like, uh-huh. when they sound like college frat douchebag. But, but that's why I feel... And also the thing, that the other thing that the book really lacked was any kind of emotional hook, mm-hmm. which is probably tied into what you were feeling reading that right. as well. Yeah. Which I think they've added, based on what I've seen of the trailers, yeah. I mean, I'm not yeah. going to see that well, movie, that's the but... Thing is, like, I couldn't care about the main character like right you know but i'm hoping that that this will be one of those cases where actually the film added to the book rather than right yeah the film added the emotional hook to it right well once again america is saving matt damon and again i (laughs) can't help but think of the team america thing like matt Matt damon yeah Yeah, i'm I'm having a hard time forgiving him for that whole exchange on project Greenlight with that one female let me mansplain racism to you a black woman and we come full circle to mansplaining yeah Yeah. andy andy's obsessed with that show and is so annoyed that none of us have seen it yet he's like he's desperate for it to talk to it it's about it but um yeah I still haven't seen it yeah Yeah. um as far as what I'm really liking I've been binge watching uh the new Aziz Ansari show Mm -hmm. on Netflix Master of Things. it's amazing it's so so good I can't recommend it enough like it's really great (laughs) cool cool uh we've been watching Sense8 
uh, and really enjoying that. I couldn't finally. get past the first episode of that. Oh, okay. All right. I'm um, maybe I'll give it another go at some point, but I. I know I watched. We really one, enjoyed stuck. it. It seemed a little bit less heavy-handed than a lot of other Wachowski stuff that I've seen. Um, some of the times they get a little bit beat you over the head with certain things, but the things in that show that do beat you over the head, I think, are things that need to be beaten over people's heads. Okay. <laughs> uh, things about you know gender uh, gender fluidity and you know stuff like that. I think there's a lot of important stuff happening in that show. I think I even got that far into the series within a context of of something that actually makes sense. So to me, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, I've still been watching a lot of old Benny Hill just because I've been kind of taking that, going Why? down that nostalgic <laughs> rabbit hole again. You know what's the funniest thing? It's to always do? been awful. But I like that old, that old fashioned English musical corny humor oh, thing. God. You know what's the funniest thing to do ever? Take the Benny Hill theme song. And play porn on mute <laughs> yeah. to the Benny Hill theme song. Yeah, because it's just like, burr, 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 you <laughs> know? It would be really funny <laughs> if you could get the little yeah. slapping, uh, slapping uh, uh, you know, uh, Bob yeah. Todd or whatever, and somebody. Yeah. Um, I used to do that in college Jackie a Wright. lot with my friends while we were smoking, and it was like the best <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> I watched a lot of it as a kid, and um, the thing that's astound- that, that amazes me about Benny Hill. That one guy. You, you look at every, a lot of the other uh, uh, one name shows from Britain of one guy's name kind of shows, and they'd always have the, the Monty Python even made a joke about it. It's like the the Timmy Williams show, entirely written entirely by Timmy Williams, with added material by yeah, fifty yeah. million names. But Benny Hill wrote every single word, every single word of that show. Every, Although apparently he was a massive joke thief. Yeah, he was. Well, he was stealing from culture from other things, but he wasn't a joke thief, and he he did recycle some stuff too. But um, the other thing, I'm I'm absolutely completely 100 percent balls deep in Fallout Four right now. I've been playing Fallout, yeah. Fallout Four like crazy. Um, I love Bethesda. I love what they do. I'm I'm yeah. I'm probably 18 hours into that game already, and just loving everything. I really want to play it, and I can't play it because my boyfriend has a problem with Fallout, like. An addiction. Oh yeah, to yeah, fall yeah, out like yeah, he'll just yeah, disappear. Yeah. You know. Well, if you ever want to come over and sit with me while I play, you can deliver your little effects that way. Or... I'll, I'll probably play it and just not tell him because <laughs> he's better. like he's in such denial. He's like, "What? No, there is no Fallout Four. It doesn't exist. That's just a rumor. Stop talking about it. Like, why are you why are you telling me these lies, Kitty? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Danny and I went and saw Spectre. Absolutely loved it. I really like Daniel Craig as James Bond. I think this has been a good continuance of a journey with little tiny wisps of On Her Majesty's Secret Service in kind of woven in there a little bit and really really enjoyed the movie uh, Christoph Waltz amazing uh, in the film and uh, if you haven't seen it if, and if you like James Bond at all I would recommend it I really enjoyed that a lot um, looking forward to Krampus looking forward to Star Wars definitely looking forward to Star um, Wars I mean, and Krampus I'm going to have to go back and watch Man One from Uncle because so I didn't I missed it in the theaters <laughs> um, but uh, so but Matt, thanks so much for coming on. And, thanks and for having me. Tell us where people can find you. Plug your shit. Oh, uh, well, uh, Matt Kirshen on everything: Twitter, Facebook, mattkirshen.com. Mm-hmm. Probably science is the podcast that I do. Cool. Oh yeah, if you're a Doctor Who fan, we've had Karen Gill on like twice. Fun. And, nice. Fun. And Ingrid Oliver's coming on shortly. Oh my God, Ingrid Oliver is like my new favorite person in all of Doctor Who. It's like her and Peter Capaldi. I'm like, ah! fan favorite is what I thought. I love Ingrid Oliver, and I liked her comedy stuff that she did with. And I always forget the other uh, Lorna Watson. Yeah, the Lorna That's Watson. That's how I know her. She and was a comedy team. For yeah, a long comedy time. team. Very long time. Yeah, yeah. So oh. I'm 
big fan of Ingrid Oliver and want to see more and more and more oh. and more and more of her. So, well, that is great. Uh, cool. Yeah, I think she's the... Have there been other Doctor Who people on the show? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> um, you have any shows coming up or anything? Or are you just kind of I mean, I've always got on... shows coming up. Right, and, okay. and I've got a new album coming out soon as well. Oh, well. Nice. What's, so, what's it called? Don't Know Yet. Haven't don't, decided. Don't Know Yet. Haven't it's decided. recorded. Okay, so that would be Don't Know Yet. Haven't yeah. Decided by Matt Kirshen. Uh, find me on the internet and I'll be shouting about it when it happens. Okay, cool. Well, hey, thanks very much for your time and, and thanks yeah, for... Yeah, having me. It's lovely to... This is great. ...see you and meet you. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's great. Um, uh, as usual, you can find... Oh, go ahead, Kitty. Oh, um, you can find me on Facebook as Kitty Brown. I'm on Twitter as Kitty Brown and I'm on Instagram as Black Magic Woman and it's magic with a K. So, cool. Yeah. Um, I'm at St. Michael on Twitter. That's S-A-Y-N-T-M-Y-K-L. I'm underscore St. Michael on Instagram. You can find us online as something2xp. Please subscribe and review us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and Google+. Check out our WordPress blog. Listen to past episodes on something2xp.wordpress.com. Email us at something2xp at gmail.com. And remember, please be kind. You've just listened to the Something Something Experience podcast with your hosts, Michael John Simpson and Kitty Brown. Something 2XP was conceived and produced by Michael John Simpson. Intro music, Ways to Change Faces, and outro music, Scorpio 37, was written, produced, and provided by the talented Sebastian Ciceri. You can find us everywhere online as Something 2XP. Please subscribe and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and WordPress. Please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook and Google+. Email us at something2xp at gmail.com. We invite your feedback. Please be kind.